Thank you, Charles. And uh, yeah, thank you all for giving me this opportunity to come and share with you. It is a, a privilege. I, I consider it just an honour, really, to be a part of this Global Missions Convention, to, uh, to be in a church that's been holding an event like this for 52 years is, in, in my experience, pretty staggering. Uh, those of you who've been here for that long will, will think that this is normal, but it's not. There are, are lots of churches that don't give uh, Global Mission that sort of attention. So, so I, think it's, I think it's a wonderful thing. It's longer than I've been alive, 52 years. Um, because mission, global mission, is something that I'm pretty passionate about, as, as you might have already picked up. You know, I, I work at a college that's called Sydney Missionary and Bible College. The department that I work in is the Centre for Cross-Cultural Mission. Uh, my research that I've done is, is in sort of church involvement in mission. You know, mission is kind of my life. It's what, I'm, what drives me, what I get out of bed in the morning for. But there are lots of people that I've met who ask the question, is, is global mission really something that we need to be worrying about so much anymore? It's one of the barriers that I've noticed in different peoples and in churches is really just asking the question, why global mission? Because the world's changing and it's changed a lot since 1972 when the first global missions convention was held. So back then, in, in 1972, if we're thinking about where are the Bible-believing uh, Christians in the world, about 40% of all the Bible-believing Christians in the world lived in what we call the majority world, or the global south, right? That's Africa, Asia, South America, right? Only a minority of the Bible-believing Christians were there, even back in 1970. If we go back to 1900, it was a tiny percent, maybe 5%. But if we look now, it's radically different. This is what the spread of evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians are in the world. The global north, which kind of refers to uh, Europe, uh, America, and Australia is considered part of the global north, even though we're way down there in the south. Only 23% of all the Bible-believing Christians in the world. 77% are in these global south countries. It's, it's a wonderful testimony to the grace of God and to the work of missions. The reason the church has grown in these places is because missionaries have gone out. The gospel's been proclaimed. Churches have been planted. People have taken it to their friends and families and extended it. It's a wonderful testimony to God's grace. But it does leave us wondering, well, what about the task now? There's a lady, Gina Zerlo, who does a whole heap of research about Christians in the world. She said, you know, if you went back 100 years, the typical Christian was a white person who lived in Europe. Today, the typical Christian is a black woman probably living in Africa in a context of poverty and poor health. That's the Christians in the world. So why global mission then? Especially when you look in Australia. Things are not going well for Christianity in Australia. That blue line is the number of people who call themselves Christian in our census. And the orange line is the number of people who say they have no religious affiliation at all. It's not going to be long at that current trend till they cross over. We also have a huge growth in other faiths, that line across the bottom. That's people who follow Islam, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, Sikhism. You can see the, the growth in these faiths over the last few years since 1996, right? This is when Global Mission Convention started, way back before that graph began. And now look, surely this is where we need to be doing mission. Why global mission? Especially given how hard it is. 
You know, you have lots of wonderful global mission partners serving in all sorts of different parts of the world, and you'll be hearing from them a bit later on if you stick around for the workshops, and you'll hear about many of the challenges involved in living cross-culturally. I was reading just recently a, a guy who spoke about this, and he said, when you enter a new culture, it's like dying. You can't speak, you can't communicate, you, can't, you don't know where to go, you have trouble doing just daily things. It's like starting as an infant all over again. So why do it? Why would we bother engaging with global mission? Well, when you ask Christians about mission and say, why should we do it, they'll often point you to this verse over here. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But this isn't the only verse. In fact, every one of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all have something like that at the end of the, of the book. Jesus commissioning his disciples, commissioning us, his followers, to engage in this task of seeing the message of hope taken to the ends of the earth. And this morning I want us to look at the passage that Charles read for us at the end of John's Gospel. After Jesus has risen from the dead, he gives this message to his disciples. And what we see here is that as God's people, we must be involved in God's mission. Not just because we're commanded, but because it's who God is. It's God's very nature. And so as his people, we must participate in what's important to him. Mission is not just something that we do as Christians, it's who we are. So why global mission? Well, the first reason is because Jesus is the message of global mission. Look with me at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This event happened on Sunday evening. On Friday, the disciples had seen Jesus nailed to a cross. They saw nails put through those hands and feet. They saw a spear plunged into his side. That morning, Mary and Peter and John had gone to the tomb and they saw that it was empty. Mary said that she saw Jesus, but obviously they weren't convinced. They're hiding away. And fair enough. The one who they'd been following for years had just been put to death. They were afraid. But then Jesus comes. He stands amongst them and he says, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He proves that it was really him that was hanging on that cross. He shows them the scars. And they were overjoyed when they saw him. They were overjoyed because they knew the significance of what had just happened. They, they knew what Jesus' resurrection meant. He had conquered death. And that's why Jesus says, peace be with you, because he's bringing us the peace that comes from people who have been set free from death. There are people in our world who try to play down the significance of death. When I worked as a physiotherapist, uh, for many years I worked in oncology, looking after people who, uh, who were dealing with cancer, and I was also working in palliative care, those who were coming to the end of their life. And when you work in palliative care, there's a, a bit of a 
view, I guess, that death is just the next step in the journey. There's this desire to sort of help people just enter death peacefully, move on to the next stage. But I think that plays down the significance of death in our world. See, death is not what God desires. Death is a, a scar on his good creation. It's evidence that we have turned our back on the God who made us, the one who gives us life. We ignore him. And so, rather than having the life that God gives, we get death. And that death infects all of earth. Not just that we face ultimate death, but that we taste death each day. In sickness, in pain, in brokenness, in tragedies. It's like the tendrils of death weaving everywhere. Death is not natural. And so we fight against death. That's why we try to eat healthy food. That's why we go to the doctor. I mean, think of all the people that would be out of work if everyone just stopped fearing death. But when we trust in Jesus, when we recognize that he has conquered death, then we have the peace that he offers. Our bodies will die, but we will be raised again, physically, with bodies better, with a new creation. And it's not just something we look forward to in the future. Jesus came that we might have life now. If you look down at the end of chapter 20, John says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life now. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus offers life now. The peace that comes with freedom from death. You know, I've seen this peace lived out in the life of my dear friend, Richard Hibbert. Richard used to work with me at SNBC, and Chong just told me that Richard actually spoke here at Global Missions Convention maybe nearly 20 years ago. Richard passed away about two and a half years ago after a very long battle with cancer. He uh, was diagnosed with a cancer that was in his leg and, uh, and then it spread through his body. And I walked that journey with him from diagnosis through surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, more surgery, more surgery, immunotherapy. It went a long, long time. And it was awful and it was painful. But the most wonderful thing about Richard is that he knew the peace of Christ. And he knew the joy that comes from having a sure hope. He knew where he was going. He said to me as he was coming to the end of my life, he says, I don't fear death. I just don't like the process. But that joy never left him. See, that's the conquering of death that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message of hope that we have for the nations because people everywhere fear death. I've seen funerals in Thailand, funerals in India. I've seen Islamic funerals. There's no hope. There's no confidence. There's no peace that comes from knowing that death has been defeated. See, Jesus is the only source of hope and life for this world. And so we must take this message to the nations. Because Jesus is the message of hope, the message for the world. 
But the other reason that we see in this passage is that God the Father is the source of mission. God is committed to global mission. Look just at verse 21. A few words pack a lot of significance as Jesus says again, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus is telling us here something that's actually fundamentally true about the Father, God the Father, and that is that he is a sending God. He sends people out for his purposes. Throughout the whole of John's Gospel, Jesus has referred to himself as the one sent by the Father, sent to do the work of the Father. In chapter 6, he says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And what is his Father's will? That everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. uh, Jesus was sent by the Father for this purpose, so that people might be drawn into relationship with God, so that people might experience eternal life, so that people might have the penalty for their sin dealt with. And Jesus, in these words, says, you are part of that purpose. I am sending you out with this message of life, the message with which Well, the the reason for which the Father sent me. See, being involved in mission is really just joining in what God is doing. God has been bringing this message of hope to all people from the very beginning of the Bible. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, we see Jesus sending out Abraham. He says to Abraham, go. It's like the first missional command, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And what's the purpose of this? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God sends out his message so that people might experience life. God sent his son so that there might be hope, so that death might be defeated. And the son sends us, joining in God's plans through all of eternity. See, God wants this message to go to every nation, every tribe, every language. And the Son sends us out with that same purpose. It's not because God needs us to, in a sense, right? God could do this any number of ways. God could send eight billion angels out. God could announce his message in all sorts of ways. But in his wisdom, he chooses us. And there's something mysterious about that. There's something strange. Why us, we are weak and broken and we find it difficult? But I think it's because he wants us to be part of what he's doing. It's like I remember when my kids were little and they'd scatter their toys all over the place. Particularly, I remember one time my son put wooden blocks all over the floor. I mean, he did that regularly, right? But when that situation is there as a parent and you get to the point of not being able to stand it anymore, you have a couple of options. You can either ask the kid to clean it up, or you can do it yourself. Now, doing it yourself is the quick, easy, and effective way. But there is great joy in grabbing the bucket that the blocks go in, squatting down and inviting your child to join you, and then showing them how to put the blocks in. And I remember my son, I don't know if this is going to make it hard for everyone to see, squatting down with me, and putting the blocks in the box with me. There's joy that comes from 
him experiencing that, me experiencing that, I think that's what God's inviting us to. Come and join me in what I'm doing. Be a part of this life-bringing message to the ends of the earth. I'm sending you out with this message. See, our God is a sending God and our Lord Jesus is a sent saviour and we are his sent people. You are sent. Where you are right now, you are sent. We are sent as all his peoples to take this message to the ends of the earth. So we need to look at the world through these mission glasses. What does it mean to live as God's sent people? How can we be bringing God's message of hope into the situations where we are now, at uni, at work, at the school gate, as we meet with friends and relatives? How can you be bringing God's message of hope to them? How can you be seeing this message go to the ends of the earth? See, we're all shaped and gifted differently. As I shared about my story, I guess I I suspected that God's desire was for me to take my physio and serve overseas, but he had a different plan. Now, am I less involved in God's mission because I'm not a missionary overseas? No. I'm still involved as part of God's sent people taking this message to those who need to hear. What's your role? How has God shaped you? How are you living as God's sent people in the relationships you're in now? How can you use the gifts God has given you, use the resources God has given you, use the opportunities God has given you to see this message go out? See, we are all shaped for God's purposes. This is not just something for some special slash crazy people to do. Like I have a friend, John, who set up this company called Gracious Tech. John is an app designer, right? He understands coding and all that stuff that I don't. John is using his skills to develop apps and various other platforms to serve mission. Secure platforms that people can send out their um, monthly updates from so that they can't be hacked. Uh, ways of translating different resources into different languages. He is based in Australia, but serving God's global purposes with the gifts that God has given him. What has God given you? You are his sent people. So Jesus is the message of global mission. God the Father is the source of global mission. And the Holy Spirit we see here is the power of global mission. Verse 22. And with that... He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. See, Jesus doesn't leave us to do this task alone. He promises his followers that the Holy Spirit, who fills uh, fills every one of his people, will go with them. Just as he says in Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always till the very end of the age. So here he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. See, being involved in God's mission is not easy. Whether it's trying to have a conversation with your atheist neighbour, trying to share with the, the, you know, the, people of, uh, the Muslim people in your community during Ramadan, whether it's going and living in Cambodia or serving in different parts of the world, it's not easy. But Jesus has promised to send his spirit to live in us, to enable us, to make it possible for us to serve his purposes. Chapter 14 of John, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, 
the spirit of truth. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, as God sends us out, he goes with us. He gives us the boldness that we need. He gives us the comfort that we need. He guides us, even through that process of dying for those who go and live in different cultures. God is with us, helping us. So God's Spirit lives in us and enables us to participate. So do you feel unsure about how to share the gospel with your workmates? God's Spirit is with you. Do you feel like you wouldn't know how to read the Bible with somebody? God's Spirit is with you. Do you feel reluctant to send people out, people whom you love and care for? Do you not want to farewell your children, your grandchildren? God is with you. God's Spirit is enabling you to serve His purposes. But I think there's something even more staggering about what Jesus says here. Look again at verse 23. He says, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now that's, that's pretty staggering, isn't it? Jesus sounds like he's saying other people's forgiveness depends on us. So is it up to us to forgive people? Oh no, It's pretty clear through John's Gospel that Jesus is the one who brings forgiveness. Way back in chapter 1, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus himself says in chapter 8, If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. So people don't find forgiveness from us. It's not, we don't forgive people. So what's Jesus saying? Well, if it's only by trusting in Jesus that our sins can be forgiven then it's only by people hearing the message of forgiveness that they can find forgiveness for their sins. See, it's only if people will go to them and share this message that they will hear it. It's a little bit like if they changed the emergency phone number from triple O to something different like 638, and only those of us in this room knew. The only way people could experience or or receive the help they need in an emergency is if we went out and told everybody that the emergency number is 638. Now, it's a silly example, but I want you to let that weigh upon you. That's what the gospel is. It's the message that brings life. And it's been given, given to us. He sends us out to take this message. And there's still a lot to be done. We saw earlier that there's been a huge growth in the number of Christians in South America, Africa, Asia. But the task isn't complete. In fact, the spread of the gospel has kind of slowed. This shows the percent of the world's population who have heard the gospel. Way over there is 1,800. And in the last 200 years, we've seen a a huge spread of the gospel through the world's population. But since about the year 2000, we've hit this sort of plateau because of the growth in the population there's nearly 30% of the world's population who have not and do not hear the gospel. To show it another way, this is the world's population. About 2.6 billion people call themselves Christian. Now, that's all sorts of different kinds of Christian, but they call themselves Christian. About another 3.2 billion live amongst Christians. They're not Christians, but they have Christians around them. If they want to hear the gospel, it's pretty easy. But that leaves 2.2 billion people who can't hear, 
They just don't have Christian people around them. To show another way, this is the world population sort of spread. These are those who don't know the gospel. You can see where most of them are, are, are spread. This is where we send missionaries. Now, if you'll excuse my terrible photo editing, it's not my skill, this is what happens if you overlay those two images. Do you see the problem? There are billions of people who don't have the message of hope. 87% of all Muslims, Buddhists and Hindus in the world just don't know a Christian. They can't hear the gospel. They don't know anyone who can tell it to them. You see, we need to take this message to the ends of the earth. We need to live as God sent people. We have been given this message of hope, this message of death defeated, this message of life. We are caught up in God's plans for the nations, invited to be a part of what he's doing. And we've been filled with his spirit, which gives us not only the capacity, in a sense, but the responsibility. We have the words of life. As I mentioned earlier, my wife and I have been married for nearly 25 years. I love my wife very much. And there's lots of ways that I try to show her my love. I care for her. I express my love. I buy gifts, though I'm not very good at that. Why do I do all those things? Is it because someone's commanded me to do it? Is it because I made a promise and I've got to stick to it? No, it's because that's who I am. I am her husband. And so I love her. We are God's people. We are God's sent people. We are sent to the nations to take this message of hope so that all might hear and know the peace that comes from Christ. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you willingly came and made a way for death to be defeated. You have opened life to us and given us this message of hope. Please, Lord, continue to fill us with your spirit that we might be bold to do all that you have shaped and equipped us to do. For your glory we pray. Amen.